welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Steve Wood, solo podcast today. I'm on the road traveling. I'm in a hotel room here in El Paso, but I wanted to jump on because I've been meaning to do a podcast on this topic for a while, and that topic being corporate representatives, looking at what are the characteristics that you should be looking for in a corporate representative. This is something we get asked about constantly during presentations or when we're working with witnesses. You know, a lot of times attorneys or clients are saying, hey, we're thinking about certain people that we want for our corporate reps. You know, here's two or three different people. Who do you think? What are your recommendations? So I wanted to do on this podcast really was kind of go through and look at five key essential elements of an effective corporate representative so that, you know, hopefully when others are making the decisions on who to pick, they can kind of take these things into consideration. The first one that we talk about, I think really is, is humility. And that being the corporate representative who feels comfortable saying, I don't know to certain questions. Now, obviously I know that's within certain limits because before a 30B6 deposition, obviously you're gonna get your topics and it's gonna lay out which topics that individual is designated for. And obviously they're not gonna have to, they're not gonna say, I don't know to those types of things. They're not gonna be prepared to answer those types of questions. The problem becomes where what's happening now is that what would normally be objected to and say outside of the scope of a, a 30B6 witness, the attorneys are allowing their witnesses to answer it, but they're answering it in the individual capacities rather than as a corporate representative, as the voice of the company. And where that becomes extremely difficult is because what ends up happening is that individual now, as they're answering their questions in the individual capacity, has also got the mindset of, you know, I'm the corporate representative. I'm supposed to be one who's the person most knowledgeable on these certain topics. So when they get questions that they probably should say, I don't know to, rather than say, I don't know, they think, gee, I, I better know this, or I should know this. Or even opposing counsel will even push on them and say, well, you were designated as the person most knowledgeable from this entity, or you were designated as the person to speak on behalf of these different topics. And now you're telling me your answer is you don't know. And as I said before, within certain limitations, they're going to have to know the answers of some, but they shouldn't feel compelled to know the answers to everything. And I think that's where we see a mistake sometimes with witnesses is that they take the, they take the bait, they feel the social pressure, they feel the pressure from opposing counsel to have to have the answers to everything. So rather than saying they don't know, what they end up doing is starting to speculate. They start to go out and start you know, using the words I hate to hear from witnesses is, I believe, I assume, I guess. And before you know it, they've opened doors they didn't mean to. They've, they've given answers that are incorrect. They've assumed certain things that opposing counsel has a document just waiting to show them that shows what their assumptions, what their beliefs are, are incorrect. So what you want to do is, like I said, is find some individual who feels comfortable saying, hey, I, I don't know the answer to that question and feeling confident and comfortable and okay with that type of response. The second one I would say is patience. And what I mean by patience is someone who has the patience to wait until the questioner is actually done with their question before they respond. You know, we often talk about taking the two to five seconds and taking time and pausing before you give a response. But so often people have getting, as we refer to, as kind of this workplace brain where they feel the need that they have to have an immediate answer. They have to be Johnny on the spot and, and always have a response and come up with a response quick. And that can become problematic once again in the deposition because what ends up happening, obviously, before the, the, the questioner is done 
with their question, the witness is beginning to formulate their answers. Well, if I'm opposing counsel and I'm going to put a trick, trap, half truth, something and use a subtle piece, uh, a subtle word that might not necessarily be accurate, that witness is going to not hear it or they're not going to know to push back on that certain word because what has ended up happening is they haven't had the patience to wait till the question is actually done. And the other thing is when I refer to patients, I also talk about patients in the process. When we work with witnesses, we're, we do this type of training for extended period of time. And a lot of times these witnesses are thinking, okay, wait a second, I have to take what, four, five, six hours out of my day in order to prep for this deposition. Why can't you just do it 30 minutes? Why can't we be done in, in, in and out? Why do we have to spend so much time going over this, so much time going over the case facts, so much time with a going over what it takes to be an effective witness. So what you need is someone who is going to take the time and feel comfortable taking the time and say, you know what, I need to set aside four hours. I need to set aside six hours to be able to do this because it's 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 what we needs to be done in order to be an effective witness, which also is helpful for the case. Third one, I think this is a really critical one, is emotional poise. And I think too often what we end up happening with witnesses is they will make emotional mistakes. And now I always point out emotional mistakes can happen in various forms. It could be someone who is the angry kind of hot-headish type witness who is going to essentially fight fire with fire when opposing counsel, you know, gives them a snarky response or does something to try to push their buttons. But emotional poise could also be someone who is a helpful personality. It could be someone who's easily confused someone who is easily frustrated, someone who doesn't like the fact that their conduct or their company's conduct is being called into question. You know, for example, it could be the safety director. The safety director is getting pressed on their hiring practices, their training practices. You know, an opposing counsel is questioning them in such a way as to imply that somehow the practices are ineffective, they're inadequate, and that somehow they should be doing things a lot better than what they're doing. Well, it takes a strong person to sit on the other side of that table and essentially have someone call into question the way you're doing things and essentially almost insulting the way you're doing things and not lash out. So I think that's one big thing I always look for in witnesses is the ability to not react, the ability to not get defensive, the ability to not get frustrated and essentially understand that those are the types of things that are going to happen in a deposition and know they need to set aside all of that frustration, all that anger you know, all of that confusion and all that type of stuff in order to give an effective answer. And if they can't do that, and essentially they go off the rails, the deposition is going to turn out bad. And, and you're going to have a case that looks a lot different all because you couldn't keep your emotions in check. So someone who A, has kind of a emotional poise, a, a calmer temperament, or B, once again, is open-minded enough or can self-identify enough to know hey, I'm the type of person who could get my buttons pushed. I'm the type of person who could lash out and, and identifying that so that I or attorneys can work with you in order to identify those and make sure that we mitigate those in the deposition. But I think the first thing is being able to, if you can get a witness to identify that, I think you're ahead of the ball game because that's one of the biggest things is for people to admit what their weaknesses are and where their buttons are that they can get pushed. Number four, I'd say it's confidence. And what I mean by confidence, it goes back to you know, emotional poise too, is the confidence to embrace your conduct, the confidence to stand there in the face of opposing counsel, almost you know, laughing at you of sorts to say, really, that's your answer. That's the answer you're going to give. 
you've been with the company for 30 years and you think that you're doing things appropriately. You don't think you, you have any deficiencies. You don't think that in this case, had you done A, B, and C better, that this whole thing would have looked different. And a lot of times what ends up happening is people want to fall into the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, or any type of pivoting in order to try to defend their conduct, to try to essentially convince opposing counsel that we actually acted appropriately in this case and that everything is, is appropriate and accurate. Like I said, once again, it, it takes someone strong to be able to say, yeah, I did that. Yes, we did that. Yes, this happened. Yes, this occurred. And do I think that necessarily means we're negligent? Does that, does that mean I think we're liable? Absolutely not. Number five, open-mindedness. And what I mean by open-mindedness is, is really just the ability to trust the process, the ability to take the training seriously. I mean, I've had instances before where I've worked with corporate representatives who've been deposed four or five times. And as, as I'm talking with them, I can see essentially their eyes glazing over in that they're thinking this is really just kind of a waste of their time because they know everything. Right. Nothing I'm going to tell them is going to be anything they've never heard before. And they've always given depositions. So therefore, they're comfortable with it and they've done good before. So why do they need someone to come in and talk to them more? Well, the truth of the matter is, in a lot of those instances, those people who have been deposed before and think that they're they're really good and they've good given good depositions. I've had some attorneys say that those depositions they thought were good were not actually good. And those witnesses who thought they were as good, that they were good, are not as good as they think they are. You know, it's it's being open-minded to understanding that, hey, we can always learn. And, and I think all of that, you know, and even me still, you know, even though I, I do this and this is part of my profession and the thing I love, I'm always reading. I'm always trying to learn about the newest stuff that's going on. I'm always trying to gain additional information because, you know, I'm wanting to always continuously learn. And I never think that I know everything because if I did that, then I stop learning. And I think that's the point, too, that it makes for a good corporate rep, a good uh, person, most knowledgeable or PMK type of witness is to say, you know what, I'm willing to check my kind of my pride at the door and, and open myself up to the process and take things from it. And a lot of times I've had witnesses who've been to post 20 times who have taken things from the training and said, you know, that was great. I wish I would have had that. You know, I've been deposed several times before, but I've never had training quite like this. And that's really what you want, because like I said, those are the people who are open and ready to learn. And those are going to be the people that will take the feedback and the constructive criticism so that they can make themselves a better witness. And I'll, I said five, I'll give you a bonus one, too. I think the, the, the fifth, sixth slash, slash bonus one would be the ability to focus. I know Bill and I have talked in the podcast before about prepping corporate uh, defendants you know, especially CEOs and those people who are higher up in organizations who are constantly checking their phones, who are taking emails in between breaks, and they're getting to, you know, their people are coming in into their office and, and where you're prepping them and, and interrupting them and they're putting out fires and doing all these types of things. And the problem is what ends up happening is they're not able to focus on the process. They're not able to focus on the training. And what it ends up doing, really, if you think about kind of that lack of focus, it also kind of, it bleeds over into the lack of focus in the deposition to not be able to focus on all the words that are in the question. The ones, once again, kind of going back to patients too, where they're wanting to answer questions quickly, where they're wanting to not allow that person uh, the time to finish, or they just can't focus. I mean, there's been times, countless times where I've, I've talked with witnesses afterwards and, you know, we might go through a deposition transcript. If I haven't prepped them for their deposition and we're getting ready for trial, 
and I'll look at things and say, you know, why did you say this? Why did you respond this way? And a lot of times they'll look at me and just say, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember ever really saying that. So I mean, I think that goes back to once again, too, just the lack of focus and the lack of preparation and thinking before you respond. Um, but also, like I said, the lack of focus of tuning yourself into the, to the process and shutting out all those other distractions, which once again, is another thing we talk about on breaks during the deposition is making sure you're not checking your phone, making sure you're not trying to take phone calls, making sure you're not putting out fires. Because what ends up happening is now you're more focused on that. Now you're more focused on all the other things related to your job and you can't focus on the deposition. But when you're in the deposition, that needs to be the primary focus. You know, you need to be able to shut out things for, for several hours and focus on only that. Because if you're not and you're not being effective, then you're not going to be able to be an effective witness. So you need to make sure you play and pay attention, stay focused. Like I said, this will be things that I've seen come up very often. These are the things that I constantly talk to with, with corporate clients and that when they're asking about looking for individuals. So hopefully you can use this going forward and identifying those people in your organizations when it comes time for a corporate rep to kind of look at who are the types of people that can fit these attributes, who are the type of people that you know may be the most knowledgeable, they might be the most knowledgeable on a certain topic, but then they fail on a lot of these other factors versus the individual who's likable, personable, who's going to be able to stay calm, cool, and collected. And worst case scenario, you have to get them up and, knowledge, and knowledgeable about the certain topics. But I'd rather have someone who does that and is willing to take the time to get knowledgeable on those topics than someone who's, who's extremely knowledgeable but fails a lot of these other things. Because like I said, then you're lining yourself up for an ineffective witness and you're also lining yourself up for potential nuclear verdicts or nuclear settlements. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Mm -hmm.